You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Well, as you are grabbing your seats, I'm going to remind you that if you are new with us or you haven't been with us in the last few weeks, we are working through a series looking at work as God intended it. Now, I say as God intended it because if we look from the earliest chapters of Genesis, we see that work has always been part of God's plan. I mean, literally, the first verse of the Bible describes God as a worker. In the beginning, God created. God did something. He contributed. And then by the end of chapter one, we are told explicitly that you and I were not only made in his image, made to reflect his worker nature, but we were also explicitly created to rule over creation, to steward it, to care for it, to take care of it. And all this goes into telling us that work was never, ever an oversight. Work is not the result of sin coming in and corrupting the world, contrary to how we often view work. Work has always been part of the plan. Now, I am going to say, because I I meant to ask Pastor Chris to do this, but he forgot. In a couple weeks, we are going to be doing a series where I'm going to, or a, a sermon where I want to take your questions on work. I have my thoughts, my stuff, hence my series on where we're going to go with this and what I want to kind of explore. But I also recognize as we're sitting in this, some of you have your own questions. And so if you have this connect card, pull it out and write your question about work on there. And I will try my darndest to actually try and answer that in a sermon. I just guarantee you it's not going to be nearly as concise and thorough as Pastor Chris's was on rest. But hey, that's neither here nor there. We're different people and I'm better looking. So... (laughs) Speaking of the fact, though, that we're all different, see, watch this sequitur, all right. Speaking of the fact that we're all different, though, is one of the things that I think is just incredibly remarkable as we talk about this idea of work is that when you look at humanity, you can't help but stop and realize there is a tremendous amount of diversity when it comes to humanity, right? No two of us are alike. In fact, none of us were ever stamped out on some factory floor. And yet, if you think about it, God could have easily done this. If the sole reason we exist is to be his image and to rule over creation, he could have stamped us out on a factory floor. And yet he chose not to do that. From the incredible amount of diversity down to the tips of our fingers, to our body shapes, to the hairstyles, to the size of our noses, right? To our personalities, even the intricacies of our own DNA, no two of us are alike. We are all a tiny amalgamation or an amalgamation of a tiny amount of numerous details that make us like no one else in all of human history, which is truly quite remarkable when you consider estimates are that there are over 108 billion people that have ever lived and no two are ever the same. Now, I don't know if you've ever stopped and thought about that, but that means you are one of a kind. You are unique. 
And not just in a weird way where it's like, oh, you're unique, you're special. No, 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 like, like I mean, you are truly one of a kind. You are a masterpiece. You are a work of art. In fact, as we see, we weren't made on a factory floor. We were crafted together by God himself, handcrafted. And one of the passages that I think develops this theme better than anyone else that I want to look at with you this morning is Psalm 139. And so I invite you this time, open with me to Psalm 139. Normally I throw it on the screen, but I'm going to be frank with you, with all the awkward poetic stanzas, it looks super weird on a PowerPoint screen. So instead, I want you to open up with me. It is on page 428 of your Bibles, or you could pull it up on your phone, or just listen to me as I read it to you. Psalm 139. Now, as many of you know, this is, this is a pretty popular psalm. It's probably right up there with Psalm 23. But what many of you probably do not know is that this is a psalm that was written in a time of tremendous distress and anxiety. And we know that because at the end of the psalm, the psalmist basically calls for God to rain down his wrath upon his enemies. Destroy the wicked! Like, it kind of goes weird. And most of us skip over that. We usually stop somewhere around verse 18. But we're going to read it all the way through today. Because what I think is incredibly significant is this. As we see in the midst of this distress, in the midst of his anxiety, this psalmist comes to this incredible awareness, this intimate awareness that God has of each of us. And not only does this give him a sense of tremendous comfort personally, He had the good sense to write it down so that all of us can be blessed with it. And that's what we're going to read this morning. This man's prayer written in a time of tremendous distress. Psalm 139, it begins, You have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. In other words, you completely surround me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there also. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Lord, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Therefore, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them ever came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And this is normally where we stop. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. 
They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? Do I not abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. I mean, this psalm is obviously beautiful. And yet all through this psalm, the one thing the psalmist makes abundantly clear is that God is not aloof to our situations. Rather, he is intimately aware of all the details of our lives. From what we do to where we go, he is not only aware of it, but he also promises to go before us, to sustain us, to guide us. I mean, this is incredible. And you can understand then why the the psalmist finds such great comfort in these words and why we find great comfort in these words. But I think one of the other profound truths we need to wrestle with in this psalm is not just what it says about who our God is, as truly, as mind-boggling as that is, but we also need to pay attention to the reality that God has an intimate awareness of every single one of us. Nothing escapes his mind. He is mindful of all aspects of you. And you have to stop and wonder, why is this? And some of you grew up with this capricious God in mind, and you hear God is like tracking everything you do and say as though it's like God is Santa, and he's making a list about how naughty and nice you are, and yet you read the totality of this psalm. That's not the inference at all. That's just not in there. So why is it that God is so mindful of you? Why does God care so much about you? Very simply put, because you matter to him. Every single thing about you matters to him. I mean, just look, consider some of these verses. Can we throw them up? Look at verse 2. The psalmist says this, Lord, you know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. Nothing escapes God's mind concerning you. Whether it's your actions, your thoughts, your speech, all of it matters to him. He's mindful of it. He anticipates it. He's like your student. I mean, did you get it? He's discerning. He's like, oh, what are they going to do next? Oh, I knew he was going to say that. Oh, there it goes. But more than that, because we matter to him, we can know that wherever our actions take us, to those places of highest highs, to the lowest of lows, God is there with us. Again, look at verse 7. The psalmist says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, as far as east is from west, that's the idea, even there your hand will guide me. Even more than that, your right hand will hold me fast. There is nowhere we can go, there is nothing we can do that God is not able to look at you and say, I've got you, I'm with you, I care for you. Look, frankly, again, some of us, really need to hear this today. Because again, you were raised with this understanding that you could somehow walk away from God, right? 
You were told that because of your actions, because of your sinful nature, you could somehow remove yourself from God as if God was here and you were over there. But what this psalm makes abundantly clear is, no, there is nowhere you can go that you can escape God. If you go to the lowest of lows, he is there. Now, that doesn't mean you can't walk away from God's will for your life or what God's good intentions are for you. We all know that. That's when we do something stupid. Frankly, that's what sin is all about. When we walk away from life as God intended it. But even when we do that, this psalmist makes clear God is there, God is present, and at any moment in your life, you can stop and say, Lord, I'm tired of running, help me. And not only does he promise to guide you in that space, but he also promises to sustain you. Your right hand will hold me fast. And why does he make this promise? I mean, that's a, that's a bold promise. Why does he make this promise? Well, simply put, because not only do you matter to him, In his perspective, you're a masterpiece. You are his handcrafted beauty. I mean, look at these verses. 13. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, Lord, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I mean, look, when you look at these verses, there's a reason this psalm is so popular, so beloved, so powerful, and it really is summed up in these two verses. And what do they tell us? That God has a lot invested in us, right? We were not accidents. We were not just mistakes. We were clearly, intentionally, willfully crafted by God himself. Yes, we may share similar traits to other people. I'm looking at the identical twins in the room. Okay, But God makes it clear that there is still only one of you. And he notices you. He's mindful of you. He cares for you. He loves you. And you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, everybody always wonders, what does it mean to be fearfully made? It's, it's actually not that complicated. Um, it just means you're awe-inspiring. It's just really awkward in English to say you are awfully made. <laughs> you see... That's kind of the idea there. In other words, this idea that you were fearfully and wonderfully made just means you are a sight to behold. You are something to look at. In the midst of all of creation, you stand out and you are worth stopping and being like, hey, look at that. Now again, I could truly stop and spend our entire sermon reflecting on these three things we looked at. This psalm is rich, and maybe in the future we'll do a whole series just looking at this one psalm. But I don't want to stop there. Because while this is incredibly important, as the psalmist continues, and this is where it connects to this whole idea of work, we discover that when God crafted us, when God knit us together, when God uniquely made you and me, he didn't just do it for fun, he did it for a purpose. You and I were made to contribute something unique to the world. Look at verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them ever came to be. The psalmist makes the inference that as God shaped us in the womb, he also somehow determined the shape of our lives. Now, before you get off on the whole like, predestination deep end, it's actually a little simpler than that. I mean, just think about this. 
When God made you uniquely in the womb, he clearly had a plan for your life. There was things he wanted you to do, things he's like, yeah, this isn't going to be in their ballpark. For instance, God clearly didn't make me to be a professional basketball player. That was never in the cards. He's like, that's not your skill set. You're going to be 5'8 with zero coordination and no athletic drive. No, work, no luck on that. Now, professional male model, that was clearly in the cards for me. <laughs> but the point is, we all understand that when God shaped us, he gifted us with certain things that he didn't gift other people with. We also know, as we've talked about, when we begin to live into those things that you alone were uniquely gifted for, crafted for, it's in those moments when you feel most alive. Whereas if you are an artist and you never get to create art, it's like something is missing in your life. If you are a people person and you're just stuck behind a desk day in and day out, you go, there's a disconnect here. Well, this speaks to the way God wired you. And only when you begin to align the way God wired you with what we actually do in the world, does it life really seem to click. More than that, does it seem like life is finally what it's supposed to be? Does it seem like you're living as God intended? Well, all of this is really just a fancy way of saying, when you align your unique call, your unique giftings, your unique wiring with the, the lives and the actions you take on a regular basis, all that is to say is you're living into your calling. You're living into who God created you to be. Now, last week, we began to unpack this idea of calling. And specifically last week, I tried to nuance the difference between a calling and a job. If you remember, I said a job is just what you do to survive. A job is what you do to make ends meet, to put food on the table. Really, it's no more, no less than that. But a calling taps into that unique way God crafted you, wired you to work. A job is typically something we choose, whereas a calling is something we have to unearth, something we have to excavate, something we have to discover. A calling is not always obvious. And now sometimes our jobs can very clearly line with our calling. Most of the time, that's just not the case. An example of this is, let's say you work for your dad's car dealership. I don't think this actually applies to anybody in here. But let's say you work for your dad's car dealership, and you're in sales, and the reason you do it is because that's what puts food on the table. That's what provides for your family. But deep down, you know you love to write poetry. The problem is, you really can't take poetry and put that into the car dealership at all. Frankly, if you sold cars to me with poetry, I'm taking my business somewhere else, okay? <laughs> but you feel most alive when you're writing your poetry. So oftentimes, your job doesn't sink with your calling, but there's times when it does sync with your calling, where there are parts of you, there are people in this room who love building up other people, who love helping other people get it, who love helping them connect the dots and seeing them take progression, you know, progressive steps in life. Well, frankly, most of you should be teachers, and most of you are teachers, and you get to live that calling day in and day out. And there's something rewarding about it. For those of you who are not wired to be teachers, the idea of spending seven hours a day locked up with 12-year-olds is a nightmare. <laughs> different people, different callings, right? We're all wired in a unique way. But the point is this. We all have a calling. 
We were all uniquely created by God to do something, to contribute in some meaningful way in this world. And that doesn't matter if it's 17-day-old Freya or baby Bridge back there who I see, less than a week old, super cute. Just want to call that out. I'm sure you wanted all the attention right there. Or it doesn't matter if you have been unemployed for 30-something years. You still have a calling. You still have a reason for being here. You still matter to God. When God sat down to craft you, he didn't say, well, this expires at 65 and now you're off and you can do whatever you want. No. You all have a calling from God. Last week, as I said, we began to unpack this idea of calling. And specifically, I gave you some questions. I think they're in the bulletin again this week. If you missed last week's sermon, the idea behind the questions, they're in the back of the, the card talk questions. The idea of the questions is just to begin to think about it to wrestle with it. As I said, call requires some sense of excavation and discovery. It doesn't always come naturally. Sometimes those questions are really helpful. I thought they were really helpful. But the problem with the questions, and I'm going to openly admit this to you, and I think there's some of you who have felt this the last week as you wrestled with them, is if all we do is talk about the questions, all it does is turn call into nothing more than a mental exercise. If all we do is sit here and wrestle with, well, how does God wire me? What am I supposed to do? Oh, I like doing this. I don't like this. This is rewarding. This is life sucking. It's not going to help you step into your call. Because very frankly, if you are ever going to live your call, you have to actually live your call. You have to actualize it in your step, in your life. You have to take meaningful steps to begin to live into it, to experience it, to explore it, to discover it. You have to do that. Now, I could very easily say, so go do it. Amen. <laughs> I'm not going to do that today because I don't want to leave you hanging. Rather, I want to give you very practical steps that you can start living in right now. Some of you are going to be thrilled with these steps. Others of you are going to hear them as a burden. I'm telling you right now, I am not burdening you. This is an invitation. If there's a burden, you should probably come and talk to me because there's probably something else going on, okay? But I want to give you some practical steps where you can say, you know what? Yeah, I felt like I had an opportunity to step into the calling that God had for me, okay? And that comes from this. Most of us recognize that call is not always obvious, but it's something that needs to be discovered. Therefore, we need places where we have the freedom to explore different opportunities, where we have the freedom to find out what we're good at, what is life-giving, what is life-sucking, and what should we never do ever again. We need that freedom. We also need places where we can try and refine some skills, where we can try new things, where we can step out of our comfort zones, all while receiving support, encouragement, and guidance. We all need that if we're ever going to step into our calling. More than that, we need to be in a place where we are surrounded with people who genuinely love, care, and support us. Because if we start endeavoring to do these on our own, odds are we're going to fall on our face, and we need to be encouraged. But also, as we saw last week, call is always going to be affirmed by other people. You are never going to just hear a call alone from God in your life. There will always be other people who speak into your life and go, no, I see this in you. I hear this in you. Yeah, you should really try this. I believe this is totally God's leading. Lastly, 
Not only do we need places where we can explore and try and fail and and see how life goes, not only do we need places where we're surrounded by people who love, encourage, and support us, we also need people in our life to be regularly praying for us. Because as again, we talked about last week, very often God calls us to things that we wouldn't normally call ourselves into. Oftentimes, God will call us to a move or call us to make a career change that just doesn't make a lot of sense on paper. But it's clearly his calling. You can only discern that if you have people praying for you, if you have people coming alongside you. So just think about this. A place where you can explore and try a bunch of things that you would have never got the opportunity, where you are surrounded by people who love you, support you, and are willing to encourage you and pray for you. Is this starting to sound like anywhere you're familiar with? The church. I mean, frankly, the church is one of the greatest places to step into your call, to at least discover what your call is. To begin serving in the ministries of the church gives you that opportunity to explore things that you've never had the opportunity to explore in your typical nine-to-five job, right? And this is where we get to do it. I mean, just think about this. Where else in all of the world are you going to get together a group of engineers so that they can sing in a choir together? (laughs) Where else are you going to find a truck driver who's going to work a soundboard? Where else are you going to find a cop serving coffee and donuts more so than just consuming them? (laughs) I saw you this morning, Harry. The point is, serving in church is truly the perfect place to explore, discover, and practice living into who God created you to be. But even more important than that, as you serve, you are given the incredible opportunity to truly bless another person. All of the ministries of the church, I don't think you realize this, all of them exist not for us, but for somebody else. Whether it's for God, or whether it's for our neighbors, or whether it's for the person sitting next to you, everything we do is about somebody else. And so you have the opportunity when you serve in church to not only discover things about yourself, but you also have an opportunity to impact the life of another person. Now, before we go a little deeper into this, I want to acknowledge something we don't often acknowledge enough. And that is the reality that there are many of you who serve on a regular basis in this church, who faithfully week in and week out serve through the ministries of this church. And while some of you are going to hate me for this, I'm going to do it anyways. I want to publicly acknowledge you today. I want to give you the opportunity to stand and be acknowledged by our community. I want to personally thank you. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start with the worship teams. If you serve on the worship teams, whether it's on praise band or choir, through the arts ministry, whether it's through altar guild or through communion server, will you please stand so we can acknowledge you today? Don't sit down because I didn't say thank you yet. I want to be specific. I have learned, if you've ever received a card from me, it probably says, thanks, John. My wife has told me that's not the way you thank people. (laughs) Especially when you're a person with a lot of words. So here you go. I wanted to be very thoughtful in the way I thanked you, and so here's what I've come up with. Because of what you do each week, as people walk into this room, they encounter God. And as mind-boggling as that is, we believe that when people encounter the living God, their lives are radically changed. 
And sometimes it's through a song that you perform. Sometimes it's through communion. Sometimes it's through the art installation you put the effort into making. Sometimes it's through a prayer you offer. But the truth is, all of these are ways that all of us in this room can attest that we have been radically transformed by God. They have been a tool God has used to bless us. And the only reason they are possible is because you showed up. You faithfully served because you humbly and willingly put effort into striving to honor God with your efforts. And because of it, we were blessed. And so truly, I just want to say thank you for serving our community in that way. Thank you. Come on, church. Thank him for that. I also want to acknowledge those who serve in the ministry that I call guest services. And what I mean by that is ushers or patio presence people, hospitality people. If you serve to take care of this campus, if you're like Leah and Irv and you help with the landscaping, will you please stand? Because I want to acknowledge you as well. All of you help us enter into this space without distractions. I don't know if you've ever stopped and thought about this, but I think there's not a person in this room that can tell you there are Sundays we do not want to be here. There are Sundays where we come off of an incredibly rough week, where it was brutal dragging our kids out of the house, and there are often Sundays where we fight with our spouse on the way here, and then we have to put on this Jesus face, and we just feel completely (laughs) fake, and we want to sit here and stew on it all day long, and yet when we came onto this campus, you guys welcomed us. You made us feel loved. You made us feel comfortable. You made us know that it was okay, that it was not okay, or that we were not okay. It was okay that we were not okay. You made us feel safe. You made us feel welcome. And it was that small tweak, that small gracious act of love that allows us to be able to enter into this space and truly encounter God. None of that would be possible had you not shown up. So thank you for doing that. I hope you're getting ready for this because I'm just getting warmed up. I don't think you realize how many ministry teams we have around here. (laughs) I want to also acknowledge those who have served in children's ministry. If you have ever served in our children's ministry, if you've taken care of our nursery workers or our our nursery, if you've uh, done three to five-year-olds, if you've done elementary school, heck, if you were part of the team that helped clean out the nursery the other day, will you please stand so we can acknowledge you? I say this to you as a parent, because I didn't know this until about a year or two ago. Because of what you do, every week I can trust that for an hour and a half, my daughter is taken care of by people who know her, by people who love her, and by people who are going to teach her about Jesus. And I can't tell you, as the person who talks about Jesus a lot for a living, I know my daughter is going to zone me out at some point. And it means the world to me that she has a village that surrounds her and uplifts her in that space. And it's not just me who says this, but on behalf of the other parents, because of your willingness to serve our kids for an hour and a half every week, we're able to enter into this space for an hour and a half and not be mom full-time, not be dad full-time, but to simply sit as the man or the woman God made me to be and receive from him so that I can go and be a parent, so I can go and do those things. But that hour and a half, is truly a gift every week. So thank you 
for doing that. If you serve in youth ministry, let's keep this going. Junior high, high school, college, will you please stand so we can acknowledge you? As many of you know, I oversaw this ministry for a number of years, and so I saw firsthand how important this ministry was. Week in and week out, we have kids showing up on this campus desperate for somebody to acknowledge them, desperate for somebody to just say, I see you, I know you, I love you, I care about you. Desperate for somebody to tell them what we heard today, that they matter, that they were crafted uniquely by God despite their quirks. Do you remember how important that was when you were a teenager? For somebody to come alongside and tell you that is life-altering. And I fully understand that playing games and farting around on the couch seems like the oddest ministry title or description there is. But genuinely, I can say, and I think there's even high school and college students and junior high students in this room who can attest to this, because of your willingness to show up every single week in those kids' lives, you are making a genuine impact. Thank you. If you serve in the office, whether it's, uh, you know, counting money, filing, folding bulletins, or you serve in men's ministry, women's ministries, if you pack food bags for the poor, if you serve uh, food for our, our elders, our, our seniors on Wednesday, if you serve on the missions board, or if you served on any of the team that helped put together the capital appeal, will you also please stand? Because we'd like to acknowledge your efforts as well. I know much of your work goes on unnoticed and behind the scenes, but we have come to understand that you are truly the backbone of this ministry. Everything that goes into the bulletins, into the activities that flow through the bulletins, has somehow had your fingerprints on that. We recognize that more than any other ministry, what you do helps take what we do in here to the streets to make sure that what happens in this community doesn't stay in this community, but that it floods our neighborhoods. And that's all because of your efforts, because of your willingness to serve, because of your willingness to come alongside and encourage and disciple and care for our people. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Come on, church. The last one I want to do is this. The last group is I want to acknowledge our elders. Whether you are currently serving as an elder or you have served as an elder, will you please stand as well so we can acknowledge you? I'm just going to guess that your thighs, elders, are very sore. Because these are people, if you haven't noticed, have pretty much stood up every group that I've talked about. Because these are men and women who have invested themselves in our communities. And I will tell you, I honestly had no idea what elders did. Until about four years ago, when I started to attend the meetings, and I started to get very involved in this pastoral stuff. And I have come to do nothing but grow in tremendous respect for each and every one of you for the decisions you make and the way you go about making those decisions, to the way you oversee and care for the ministries of the church, to the way you pray for this congregation. I am truly humbled by it. I feel like I am pushed as a man to try and step into further what it means to be 
the man God made me to be as I watch you. And I just have to say, thank you for doing that. Thank you. Look, I, I hope I didn't miss anybody because I truly believe that if you're serving in this church, you're making an impact. You are affecting somebody's life, and I'm tremendously grateful for that. Now, I also want to recognize that I also hope that these ministry areas that you are serving in, you find as spaces and opportunities for you to truly step into your call as well. They're not just ways for you to serve people. Those are, that's a, that, that right there would be enough. But I also hope that these ministry areas are opportunities for you to step into the unique way God wired you to serve. God wired you to work. And if they're not, go see Pastor Chris after class or go see me. We want to make sure that you are doing something in line with that. Now, I also want to recognize that there are some of you in this room who yet serve, or yet to serve in a ministry. And I want to just recognize that if that's you, this is one of the most practical ways you can start to live into your call. If you are a person who is genuinely wrestling with how God uniquely wired you and what it would look like to live into that, the single greatest advice I can give you, serve in a ministry. Let us come alongside you. Explore different opportunities. Let us encourage you and give you support and guidance. And let us pray for you along the way. And so if you're interested in that, I'm going to point to this card again. I want you to throw your name on the front and then on the back. I just want you to write, you know what? I want to get involved. I want to help. I want to serve. I want to do something. Put me in, coach. I really don't care what you say. As much as when I read it, I can be like, oh, they want to get involved. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this promise to you. If you put your name on this, I'm going to get a hold of these tomorrow. And I'm going to assign your name to a specific elder and a staff member. And I will make sure that they follow up with you this week. Because if you are hungering to get involved in a church, I want to make sure you get that opportunity. So you're probably going to get a call from a couple people this week if you're interested in that. Don't worry about it. Sorry, elders, I gave you more responsibility. <laughs> Told you they did a lot. <laughs> but I also want to recognize some of you are like, I don't even know what to do around here. That's okay. We will help you process that. Okay? If you do know what you would like, if one of those ministry areas really was like, man, I would love to do that. That seems like it's in line with my call. Throw that down. Hey, children's ministry. Hey, guest services. I want to do that. And I'll make sure that that gets connected to the right staff and the right elder. Okay, so I want to throw that out to you if you want to do that as well. But the big thing here is this. We believe as a church that we exist to see you flourish. We desire to see you fully step into the man and woman that God created you to be from the beginning. But that only happens when we fully live as God intends. And the other part of this is this. When we fully live as God intends, this is why we make such a big deal of this. We believe that only when we live as God intends are we able to fully worship God as he deserves. And so our hope in all of this, our hope in helping you tap into your call isn't just so that you feel better in life. Yes, that's a big part of this. But our hope more than anything else is so that God's name would be made even greater at Grace Lutheran Church as it is in heaven. Our hope as you put your name on this card, as you get invested in a ministry, as you further step into your call, whether it's here or in your job or whatever it is, that wherever you go, you would understand you were knit together for a purpose. God has a unique call on your life, and we want to come alongside you and support you as you endeavor to step into that. We recognize you matter to him, and genuinely, I can say this, you matter to us. 
hence the card that we keep pushing. We want to know about you. So at a minimum, I just encourage you, take a step into your calling this week. Don't just talk about it. Don't just think about it. Come up with some actual steps you can take to start living into it. And lastly, my hope and my prayer, as I said, is that through all of this, God would receive all the glory. That through your efforts, through your willingness to serve, by your ability to tap into that unique way he made you, that God would look upon your life, the thing he is completely mindful of, and it would put a gigantic smile on his face. In that spirit, I want to pray for you this morning. Father, we give you honor, glory, and praise for who you are and for who you made us to be. You could have just stamped us out on some factory floor. You didn't have to give us free will. You didn't have to give us the ability to make personal decisions, and yet you did. And Lord, we recognize that for many of us, we have walked away from life as you intended it, but we so desperately desire to get there. So I pray, Father, that by your Spirit, you would come, and just as your Word says, you would guide us. Your right hand would hold us fast, that we would truly begin to see your Spirit at work in our life and begin to experience life as you intended it. Again, not for our glory's sake, but for yours alone, Lord. May all of this put a gigantic smile on your face. In Jesus' name, amen.